Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now... So welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist podcast. I'm very excited. I have a very unique guest today. And of course, I'm Karen Rands. And uh, the thing that I what makes me so excited for any of you folks that have listened to my prior podcasts and have um, understand, you know, this, this relationship that I try to establish between um, compassionate capitalism and then sometimes through sustainable and conscious capitalism. But then we also have where it's the marrying up of ideas that get to market through reward-based crowdfunding and it mitigates the risk for the investors, the follow-on investors that come in later because it's, it, the proof of concept has been proven, the market demand has been proven. And you know, how do you, mirroring those things up. And when I was approached to bring my guest, Colin McIntosh from Sheets and Giggles onto the show today, I was, it would fit all those bills. It was just perfect. And so uh, let me introduce you to, uh, to Colin. It's, uh, so he's the founder and the CEO of Sheets and Giggles. It's a Denver-based, fast-growing brand in the 12 billion U.S. building, U.S. betting space. He launched it on Indiegogo in 2018 and raised $284,000 in his crowdfunding campaign. So we'll learn a little bit about that. And uh, she and the company went on. Uh, he's went on and raised approximately two million dollars from venture capital to date, which is always um, an interesting challenge because we we've talked and he'll share, you know, how you find those those investors that will um, not just do tech but will do you know this kind of a consumer product that has unique tech in it in order to create it, uh, and 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 a double bottom line. But it's also one of the few companies to make a million dollars in revenue in its first 12 months of sales, which is also hardly ever, that's a really big hurdle for a lot of startups to overcome. And so as a sustainable brand, it is eucalyptus bed sheets, okay? And duvet covers that 96% less water goes into making them. 30% less energy, there's no pesticides, no insecticides. So this is, uh, it's just really, um, I'm just excited to have discovered this company and stuff and discovered Colin. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Karen. I appreciate you having me. And, and thanks so much for the really warm intro. No, absolutely. Okay. So first question, you, I mean, you're, you're a millennial. So did you mm -hmm. do corporate gig before you came into <laughs> this? Did you this like your third company that you finally broke the code on or talk a little bit about how you came up with this idea to do this unique form of uh, betting. Yeah. So it was, um, it's actually been an interesting career. So I, I went to Emory university in Atlanta. I went to the business school there. Um, and, uh, you know, Goizueta for your listeners that are familiar with Goizueta business school. And uh, I graduated. I, just wanted, I didn't realize that you were an Emory grad. I'm an Emory grad too. I should have mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. done that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I and I graduated. I graduated uh, from Emory in 2012, uh, and uh, I ended up going to a hedge fund in Connecticut called Bridgewater Associates for my first job out of school. 
Um, and that was a really interesting um, experience because Bridgewater is the world's largest hedge fund. Uh, I think it was approximately $170 billion under management when I started working there. Um, and I think I got fired in about five months. Um, <laughs> so that was, that was a really fun first, uh, first job experience. And, um, you know, I, I, I ended up becoming a recruiter at um, the small agency that actually hired me at Bridgewater. Uh, and then I became a business development associate at a startup that was one of my clients because I actually hired myself into one of my open roles uh, at one of my clients in Seattle. And so that was my initial foray into startups. That was a B2B SaaS startup. Um, and then about a year later, I had the opportunity to go through um, a program called Techstars, which is a global accelerator. I went through their Boulder program. Uh, I did that with a company that I had helped to found with some of my friends. Uh, but I wasn't uh, the founder or the CEO. I was just on the founding team and had a biz dev. Uh, it was a wearable technology company. And uh, we were actually trying to fight against sexual assault and violence with wearable technology, similar to Fitbit, but with an emergency twist. Mm -hmm. um, and we ended up getting funded. We raised millions of dollars. We, we had people working in downtown Denver, uh, about 20, 30 people. And unfortunately, we ended up um, all getting laid off at 1 p.m. on a Monday in September 2017, which is really difficult for me, um, emotionally speaking. And uh, I think I kind of just had a, a mild uh, <laughs> breakdown a little bit. And I decided to found a pun-based betting company. And so Sheets and Giggles was born about three weeks after that layoff in October 2017. And so now we're going on three years and I officially worked here longer than anywhere else in my career. And <laughs> I, I, I could not be happier going into my thirties uh, with my, my own company and, and everything that we've done in such a short period of time. Wow. That's an interesting journey. Absolutely. So very, very, why, uh, why, how'd you learn about eucalyptus as a plant matter to make sheets out of and um, you know, the process of making sheets how yeah. So, well, so basically it was, uh, I, I think that I kind of did the opposite of what a lot of founders do where a lot of founders, they kind of um, think of a problem that they're really maybe focused on and sustainability and, and climate change has always been a big hot button issue for me. Um, but, you know, they think about a problem, they're really focused on maybe something they notice, something that that's bugged them, something that's hurt them. Um, and they kind of spend a lot of time and money building a solution for that problem. Um, and unfortunately, I think one of the problems with that is that a lot of founders will will spend years of their life and hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars building a solution that the market rejects um, or that the market says uh, we like, uh, but not the price that you need to charge to build a profitable business model. And so I think that what I did, which was sort of the opposite, was I actually came up with a business model that I was extremely passionate about. So I wanted a product uh, for my own company that and then this is all all the things I learned from my prior my prior experience at my last startup. Um, I wanted a company that was in a massive commodities market where everybody was a customer. I wanted a company with a very flat brand space with no loyalty or differentiation amongst the major players. I wanted something that was highly fragmented with a lot of smaller players, so no major market leader that I had to kind of chip away at. Um, and then I also wanted something that was traditionally physical retail, so I could help bring it online with a direct-to-consumer model. Um, and then further, I wanted something with a lower complexity supply chain. Um, and don't get me wrong, home textiles is very complex in a number of different ways, but I also wanted something that didn't have a Bluetooth component, firmware, software engineers on staff. 
um, something that was going to be a much a much more manageable supply chain and vertically integrated um, versus you know having a bunch of different suppliers spread out across the globe. And, and so, and then I, the final piece of it was I wanted something that was a sustainability mission because sustainability has been a big hot button for me for a long time. And so I actually looked at a few different ideas that I had. I had ideas for you know I think a sunglasses company. I had an idea for a furniture company. Um, and then I owned SheetsGiggles.com, and I was so taken with the brand name and the idea to build a bedding company that was funny first, um, but also from a sustainable materials perspective and a premium feel perspective as well to the sheets. And I was so taken with the with how boring this entire industry was, and how meaningfully we could differentiate on the brand voice as well as in the product itself. And I so I started doing materials research. I started meeting with different manufacturers. I learned about um, eucalyptus lyle cell, which is a material, a cellulosic rayon, uh, similar to bamboo viscose for folks that are familiar with bamboo fabric um, <clears throat> that's made from the wood of trees. And so our lyle cell is extremely sustainable. Um, like you said, it uses uh, thousands of gallons less of water, uh, sorry, thousands of liters of water less compared to cotton. Um, you know, it uses about 30% less energy compared to typical cotton sheets. Um, and it uses no insecticides or pesticides at all on the trees. And a lot of people don't realize that cotton uses uh, anywhere from 16 to 24% of the world's insecticides by itself as a crop. And so I was just kind of taken, taken with, the, with the company idea first to kind of bring it back to what I was talking about, building a business model that I was very, very passionate about. I knew that I could build something successful in this space because of all the criteria that I listed. And then finding that material that really just I completely fell in love with to build the product around was, um, you know, really crucial. And so once I put everything together, I think we started work on the company in January, 2018. So just about two and a half years ago now. Um, and it started work, you know, in earnest, I would say. And then we launched in May, 2018 on Indiegogo and did the largest crowdfund ever uh, on Indiegogo for the betting category at $284,000 crowdfunded. And those several thousand people became my initial customer base. And since then, we've shipped tens of thousands of units and are, are uh, really, really proud of how quickly we're growing. Each quarter and sorry, each month in 2020 has actually been bigger than the corresponding quarter in 2019. So wow, really excited about that. So a question about, so because you, you said there was no major, um, nobody knew a brand that you had to, to you know, sort of chip away at. Mm -hmm. But the cotton lobby is a very powerful lobby, <laughs> you know, and sure. so how there are there many other products that are made with eucalyptus? Are you the only sheet out there with this? So you just said uh, naturally set aside and be unique and stand out or, or what's that sort of dynamic mm. of how you try to educate people versus cotton? Yeah, we've got competitors in the space. I mean, in the, you know, and and there are companies that, you know, are already already fairly successful selling um, you know, different blends, maybe a 50-50 eucalyptus lyle cell cotton or, you know, 70-30 blend. Um, and, but, you know, there, I would say that cotton's actually not our biggest worry or concern. Polyester is actually, I think, about two-thirds of textiles sold. And um, it's, a, it's a huge, huge portion um, of the U.S. textile uh, consumption. And so when you go on, you know, Amazon, you search for bed sheets you'll find some cotton sheets. Uh, you'll maybe find some bamboo sheets all the way down. I know the search frequency of each of these terms. And, you know, when you look at queen sheets on Amazon as the top search term for the category, 
almost every single result on that first and second page is a polyester microfiber. Um, and it's because they can sell them because they're petroleum based synthetics. They can sell them for, you know, 19 bucks for a queen sheet set. Um, and a lot of people don't even realize that, you know, uh, polyester is the number one source of microplastics um, in the ocean. Um, and so, uh, you know, cotton, I, I, we try not to pick too many fights with cotton. It's just one of those baseline natural fabrics that we kind of point to and we say, look, this is, a, this is what we call a legacy product in this industry, right? Okay. This is something that we've used, we've used for hundreds, thousands of years. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of good reasons for it. Cotton's a great, a great natural fiber. Um, and, you know, it, it definitely has a, a purpose. Um, but, you know, when it comes to the thing that I really worry about, I really worry about more about synthetics, um, especially petroleum-based synthetics. And I worry about, um, you know, all, the, amount of, the amount of microfiber that's being produced and the amount of polyester in the world. Um, and so uh, in terms of like uh, our little niche, we try to be honest. Honestly, we don't try to draw these comparisons too, too strongly in terms of the sustainability side because it's my belief, and this is just my belief, that um, Americans are, I don't want to say selfish consumers, but they, they do focus on their benefits more than they focus on the altruism when it comes to their purchasing power. And so uh, we lead with, it's literally softer than cotton, has a lower coefficient of friction. Um, our eucalyptus lyocell is more breathable, it's more moisture wicking. If you sweat a lot at night, it's going to evenly evaporate the the moisture across the fabric uh and you know you're never going to wake up in a pool of sweat we talk about how they're hypoallergenic they're zero static they're better for sensitive skin we've got people with fibromyalgia eczema um all sorts of different nerve conditions neuropathy um and other things that they can't sleep through the night unless it's on our sheets because of how smooth they are and how low friction they are um and so i you know that's the stuff that we really focus on is is the premium nature of the product yeah. And then we say, and you can get it for a lower price than, you know, Bolin Branch, which is charging 240 bucks for a set of cotton queen sheets, which I think is nuts. Um, and, you know, and then, because I know, <laughs> I know how much cheaper cotton is to manufacture <laughs> than our Lyo cell. And so, you know, we always try to draw those comparisons. And then we say, and of course, it's sustainable because we wouldn't um, start a company uh, if we didn't have a sustainable product yeah. to, to back it. And so that's kind of the way we think about our niche is like making sure people understand it's a better product first and, and then sustainable um, as the sort of like, of course, part of it. Okay. So then let's get into the, the process of raising money on a crowdfunding platform as mm -hmm. a startup with this somewhat novel idea. You know, there was mm -hmm. people out there, but you do have a lot of, you know, people, you know, so did you target, let me just get into, did you target? Sure a certain, like the, the ones that had those uh, skin conditions or something where you knew they would be automatically looking for something that was better and solve that problem? Did you uh, emphasize the sustainable because that's an emotional sell to some companies to support? How did you go about get, you know, going to that besides, I mean, the nuts and bolts of a reward base where you have different levels of stuff that people buy and and all of that kind of stuff, but, but the getting the eyeballs to come mm. and then convert them. What was your lead up time? I've heard all kinds of stories of how much effort has to go into setting the stage with bloggers and all this other kind of stuff ahead of time. So was there a, a secret sauce to doing it or you just got really lucky because it, the market was just waiting for your product? Yeah. So I think that there's a few different parts to that question that I can kind of chat about. 
Um, the, the first thing that I'd say is that with any crowdfunding campaign to be successful, you generally need three different value propositions. Um, so, you know, that's just kind of a general rule for crowdfunding. Um, and I think that with me, uh, our three main propositions were that it's literally a better product than cotton. Um, number two is that, you know, it's softer, it's more breathable. Number two is that, uh, like you said, there were competitors out there, Bed Bath & Beyond was selling its eucalyptus for, I think, $200 for a king set around there. And we were offering ours our Indiegogo for about 80 bucks. Um, and so that was, that was value proposition number two. And then number three was that uh, the sustainability. And so first and foremost is just building the value proposition. Secondly, in terms of the preparation of the eyeballs, we, um, I think that we prepared for about 10 weeks. Um, generally speaking, I, I would advise anybody to do at least eight weeks of preparation for crowdfunding. Um, eight to 12 is good. Uh, and then we really just knew kind of working backwards from a goal level. Okay, we want to do $100,000 crowdfunded. With a crowdfunding campaign, you need about 30% of your goal on day one. Uh, because, you know, we want to do $100,000, that means we need $30,000 on day one. We know our average order value is going to be about 100 bucks, which means that we need 300 customers on day one if we're going to be successful. And uh, when you're talking about an email list and an email list converting on a crowdfunding campaign, you're talking about a reasonable conversion rate at around 3%. And so if you need 300 customers and your email list will reasonably convert at about 3%, that means that you need 10,000 emails in order to be successful. And yeah. so that's what we did. We kind of, we, we put our heads down and we worked backwards from our goal and we ended up gathering 11,000 emails in about eight weeks of uh, email capture. Um, and so we basically were uh, targeting early adopter lookalikes on Facebook, people that had backed um, other crowdfunding campaigns in the past or who were interested in innovation or other new products. Um, you know, we, we told them what we were trying to do and bring the sustainable material to the masses and, and really popularize it in, in the U.S. Um, for most people, the concept of, you know, sheets made out of trees sounded completely um, magical and, and people hadn't really heard of that before. Um, and so it ended up coming together really nicely where we had this very powerful, visceral um, brand with very, very differentiated imagery. I think our most successful pro uh, image was three men in a bed drinking red wine uh, with avocado face masks on. <laughs> oh, I've seen that picture. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, when you kind of put all that together, you have this really striking imagery. Uh, we had this really, you know, witty, witty, fun copy that never crossed over into juvenile or corny, but it was always very clever and, and I think well-written, kind of like Seinfeld is the way I always thought about the copy. Um, and then uh, we had this really, really strong product that we were, that we were advertising. And to this day, convincing, you know, 3,000 people to wait five months for bed sheets is my, my proudest marketing achievement. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so, absolutely. And so that's, wow. that's, that's kind of breaking it down from top to so, bottom. And, and spot on. I mean, mm -hmm. so did you, have a, uh, did you have somebody that coached you through that process? Or did you go, the guy that wrote the four-hour work week, he had it kind of outlined that as your, you know, start where you want to be and, you know, work your way back and you just figured it out and you're data driven or how'd you, how'd you figure well, that you out? Know, it's, well, it's kind of, it's kind of funny. I actually think I figured that out as a recruiter. So I remember when I began recruiting, I was a, you know, 20, 22 year old kid. Um, and I remember that my boss at the time, he was just helping me figure out how to, how to achieve these searches that we need to do. 
and it was really it was really difficult because you know I had never done recruiting before, and my my boss was telling me, okay, you need to hire one person per month to start, right? And so if I need to hire one person per month, and then working backwards from there, let's say that every offer that we make, one out of three offers gets accepted. Um, and so out of every person that we interview, maybe we'll make an offer to one out of every 20 people that we interview. Um, and if we, if we, you know, have a, a 30% response rate on our outreach on LinkedIn and 50, 50 say yes or no to an interview, then, you know, working backwards from making those three offers to get that one higher, uh, that means that you're going to need to, uh, <laughs> interview, you know, X hundred people per month in order to make that higher, which means yeah. you're going to have to email, you're going to have to email X hundred, you know, Y hundred people every single month. And so working backwards from that was really, was really kind of the first time I ever had that linear type of like goal based approach. Um, and then, you know, everything kind of, once you start thinking about the world in terms of like these components, um, I think that that's been very formative for me. I remember I, when I interviewed in college at McKinsey, uh, which is a consulting firm, and I interviewed, uh, I think, with their Boston office um, for a consulting position, that, that was also very similar to how they broke down their problem solving was, you know, if you're thinking about revenue, there's really two components, right? There's price and then there's number of units. And price is like fairly fixed. Like you can increase it or decrease it a little bit, but that's not really going to move the needle. It's really about number of units. And number of units is about impressions multiplied by conversion. Mm -hmm. And so conversion, conversion, maybe you can get that to 3%, 4%, 5%. Maybe you can, you know, get that, get that higher. But, you know, when you start to look at it, you start to optimize it, you know, as high as you can go. And so then you realize, okay, well, the, the important thing is actually number of impressions. And so breaking things down to their base components and how to get, how to get one leading to the other is, I think where a lot of people kind of go wrong when it comes to crowdfunding and other goal setting for businesses, because a lot of times people think, um, oh gosh, you know, I'm going to put this on Kickstarter and I've got like 50 friends and family that are totally <laughs> going to back it. And then, you know, that's going to be my first $5,000 and then, but you know, like half your friends and family forget and then like somebody gets fired so then they can't buy it that week because they lose their paycheck. And then, you know, it's day three of your crowdfund, you've only made $2,400 and like you have a goal of 50,000. And now you're basically doing the math in your head and you're like, okay, well, if I like, you know, if I double this, like, and, and it just never works. Like you need the preparation is so key for yes. crowdfunding and, and for goal setting. And I love working backwards for my goals and breaking them down into the two or three most core components. Very good. So you, you had a goal of a hundred thousand. So you overshot that with the yeah, three X. Yeah. Okay, so good. So it wasn't multiple yeah, we, we campaigns. Ended, we ended up, you did it all, it all within that one period of time. Yeah, goal. So the goal was to do thirty thousand on day one. We ended up doing forty five thousand dollars on day one. Um, and uh, we, we our our Indiegogo page ended up converting close to five percent. I think it was four point nine percent. Um, and a normal Indiegogo page converts at about 1.5%. Um, really? And so, yeah, so it was a really, we, we've always seen that though with our brand, um, our brand voice, our imagery, um, the amount of fun that we have with what we do and how we make people laugh. We, we generally see conversion rates higher across the board. Our emails, we were converting our email lists at 45% um, email capture. Wow. Back in back in February March 2018, 
And this was, we didn't even have a product. This was just so people that was that were like a, their email. Like a landing page and they would give it to you yeah, yeah. something coming. It was like a, yeah, they were, they were, people were just, people were just cracking up. We had, you know, we had pictures of, <laughs> you know, we had pictures of people sawing, sawing two by fours in half with a circle saw in the bedroom. And we had pictures of, you know, women drinking whiskey, playing cards in bed and, you know, guys, putting you know face masks on each other and and you know we just had so much fun with it and did did stuff that was so bizarre and i think that people just kind of stopped what they were doing on facebook and just like scrolled back up and said wait what the f did i just did i just yeah. see and they would go through the page and they'd read our copy and they read they you know they they you know understand what we were trying to do and i think it just res really resonated with people from That's day cool. one and um, yeah, it makes me really happy to know that we can resonate with people with just words on a page like yeah. that. Yeah. So now how did you, you know, sometimes the entrepreneurs like they're good. They're like, okay, I'm, I'm, let's roll with this. And then they wake up and they need money and, you know, to continue to scale, which is, so how did you, did you know from the very beginning you were, this was just the, this was just beginning I'm probably because you're data driven and you're that way, but when did you start <laughs> converting over to say, and now we got to go get equity capital? Well, I think, I think initially I wanted to do a crowdfunding campaign for two reasons. One was because I, you know, I just wanted to prove to myself that there was market demand for this and I wanted to oh, validate yeah. it. Definitely. You know, yeah, other, otherwise I didn't want to, I didn't want to pursue it. You know, I needed to validate it first. Mm -hmm. um, and then two, if I can be completely honest, I just honestly did not think that investors would give a first time founder and CEO money for a pun based uh, consumer brand. I just thought, I thought, right. I thought that was a losing proposition to you you know, walk in there a, with an idea. A lot longer than 10 weeks to find an investor that would have been interesting. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and because, and because of what we've done. And so in terms of answering the question, just, just about like when I started thinking about it, I, I pretty much knew that I would always need more money than that initial amount amount. So I knew that that was, that's what it was going to take at some point. Um, I just didn't know how much and when and why. So basically once we started to look at the numbers and say, okay, if we're going to scale and we're going to try these things and we're going to, you know, blow some money here and make some mistakes there, um, then, you know, we're going to need to have enough money to experiment and to have cushion and to have the growth capital that we need in order to achieve our goals. And so we wanted to grow 4X from 2018 to 2019. Uh, we ended up achieving that and doing that almost exactly. Uh, we wanted to grow 3x from 2019 to 2020. I think we're going to hit that perfectly, but we're going to do that profitably, which is also incredibly important for me. Um, and so uh, the capital, you know, we raised, I think, half a million dollars in December 2018. And then we raised another 1.5 last summer. Um, and, you know, both of those amounts were very purposeful and, and intention driven where, you know, I basically my pitch to investors the entire time that I've had a business has been, hey, here's our current trajectory. Here's where we'll be in 12 months in terms of a monthly revenue run rate. Um, I would like to double that. I would like to triple that. I believe I can do that because here's our cost of acquisition. Here's our conversion rates over the last 12 months. Here are our review scores. Here's our repeat purchase rates. Here's our average order value, cart values. Here's our, you know, new product lines coming down the pipe. Um, and so you know, I'm able to show really, really um, precise data to people in terms of like the numbers that I find most crucial to a consumer company. Um, and I think that investors have just responded extremely positively. I think, you know, the I've probably pitched maybe 
20 to 30 different investors and uh, uh, we've gotten yeses from half of them. Um, and I, I don't, I'm not trying to brag. I just like, uh, when it comes to fundraising, I think that I approach it like very differently from a lot of my other peers where a lot of people are pitching like ideas, um, and potential. And then I'm always pitching just doubling growth trajectory. Um, oh, yeah. I think it's a, yeah, I think it's a much stronger, a much stronger pitch. And I very rarely talk about the mission or the amount of water that we save. I mean, we've saved tens of millions of gallons of water. We've, we've planted tens of thousands of trees. We plant a tree for every single water that we get. So in the United States, we've planted tens of thousands of trees in, in areas in like Colorado and Florida um, that need reforestation. Um, you know, we, uh, we've donated hundreds of sheet sets to local Denver homeless shelters to help prevent the spread of COVID-19. We even donated $40,000, uh, which represented 20% of our sales for 30 days earlier in the year, um, you know, to COVID-19 relief, uh, emergency relief in the state of Colorado. Um, and so, you know, we were, we were recognized by Amazon as one of six small businesses making an impact during the COVID-19 pandemic, which is very, I'm very, very proud of that. Wow. And, and so, you know, we do, we do a lot of stuff that I, I'm very proud of and that I, you know, I can hang my hat on, but I almost never pitch that. <laughs> That's just, I just don't, I just don't think, and I know, I know that you're the group that you, you know, interact with is a very different group of people and they're very socially conscious people. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that you can kind of have your cake and eat it too and do both. And I've just always found that building a successful business that also does good as a function of its variable cost structure is like the best way to, to build something like this from the ground up. Absolutely. Okay. So we got a few minutes left here. Um, what is, what's next? Are you going to just continue to bring out different kinds of bedding? Are you going to get into clothing, upholstery? Something like that. Um, just grow your market. Just stay pure. To... I think with a company like Sheets and Giggles, like I've always thought of like, you know, Sheets first and then the Giggles. <laughs> uh, so I've always thought, you know, we're going we're gonna to really crush the bedding vertical. So bed sheets, duvet covers, comforters, pillowcases, blankets, weighted blankets, really go deep into the bedroom, make sure that we, we you know, mattress protectors and um, probably come out with a pillow sometime in early 2021. Um, and I'm really excited about all those, all those product developments that we're doing. Um, then beyond that, I do think there is an apparel play. I think there's a pajamas play. I think that there's, you know, um, other, other types of clothing, whether it's, you know, underwear, undergarments, or, you know, something along those lines. I do have friends that have clothing companies. So, um, you know, we, we all talk and share different information. So I want to make sure I'm respectful to them and not doing anything competitive, um, you know, to people that have been very helpful to me and to the company company. Um, but you know, there, there's different things that we, I think can do that overall our product lines that will be very meaningful for us. But I also want to make sure that we do our best to not just jump straight into skew prol prol proliferation, because I think a lot of consumer companies have the, um, like the temptation to just keep adding more and more and more product lines because every time they do, they get this, you know, $2 million bump, $3 million bump, whatever it is. And they just, it's just becomes addicting to just like always launch these new products. But before you know it, you've got thousands of SKUs and, you know, with the color and sizing variations. So I'm just going to be intentional about it. And, and I think that, you know, moving into 2021, um, you know, we're going to be coming out with crib sheets and, um, coming out with a nice flannel uh, for the winter in 2020. So this fall, we'll come out with a, with, 
you know, one of the world's, I think actually the world's first eucalyptus lyle cell flannel net. So 100% eucalyptus lyle cell flannel. Um, and then I think we're going to come out with, uh, you know, a few other different variations, but, um, you know, really stay, stay core in our vertical and then we'll think about branching out after that. Very good. So I really appreciate you coming on the show today, Colin. This has been a fascinating uh, story that you told and your journey. And I just uh, really wish you all the, all the best success. I know you're, I really don't have to even wish that because I know you're going you're gonna to have it. Uh, I want to encourage folks to go to uh, their website and check it out and get your pair of sheets. There's no and in there, right? It's just sheetsgiggles.com? That's correct. Yeah. So at first I was like, but when you do, sh when you search on shirts, sheets and giggles, then sheetsgiggles.com comes up. So. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're easy to find. We're on Amazon and Google and you can, uh, you can find us in a heartbeat. Yeah. So very good. So anything else you'd like to, to add just before we say goodbye here in the next minute or so that we have? Well, I just want to say, you know, thanks so much for having me. And also thanks for cultivating a really good group of socially conscious investors. I think that you know, one of my long-term goals is to be able to invest, you know, whatever I get out of this experience into future ventures, whether my own or others. Um, and I think that I'll take a very similar approach to what you've described to me and what I've, what I've learned from you um, and uh, investing in things, not only that I think are great businesses, but are also meaningful um, for the country and for the world. So appreciate what you do and appreciate your group. Thank you very much. Onwards and upwards. Thank you for listening to the Compassionate Capitalist Podcast Radio, where we encourage individual investment in entrepreneurs to create generational wealth and best practices for small businesses to succeed. Help us spread the word about compassionate capitalism by sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues. The Compassionate Capitalist Podcast is available on most podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. In production for over 10 years, there are over 180 episodes available for your listening and educational pleasure. With over 130,000 downloads, this podcast is rapidly becoming the top podcast for investors and entrepreneurs to get the information they need to create generational wealth through entrepreneurism. This podcast is brought to you by the Business Power Tools which offers an online collaborative environment for leadership teams to prepare business plans, marketing strategies, financial modeling needed to attract capital and scale a business. Also, Lindio as a entrepreneur's resource portal providing access to dozens of lenders offering short-term and long-term debt to help business owners manage their financial cash flow and growth capital needs. BizX, creating affordable advertising resources, and other tools for entrepreneurs to succeed and create awareness and trust with their customer base. And Launch Funding Network, part of Kugaran Capital Holdings, is a network of hundreds of angel investors, investor clubs and networks, venture capital firms, private equity funds, family offices, investment bankers, and lenders. Please visit karenrands.co to learn more about the Launch Funding Network and our sponsors, and to sign up to get our Compassionate Capitalist Coffee Break and learn more about how we can help you succeed.